So do you remember this business in Longview called Daiquiri Express? I do. Yeah. I do remember and Do you remember place. the the sign for it with that guy? He's like, yeah. He's yeah. got like his tongue sticking out. Uh-huh. He's like, yeah, totally rad, man. Daiquiris. <laughs> I love him. Um, I bring that up because we went to a uh, Dallas's version of Daiquiri Express. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Oh, it was crazy. So many things were crazy about it. Started with my day at work was very long and exhausting. And um, so we went to, we went to go get daiquiris and it was like a drive through place, you know, yeah. which is a very funny concept. I don't know if they exist everywhere, but that's just the only thing stopping you from drinking and driving is a plastic bag. Like that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have beer barns and stuff too. It's the same kind of concept is. Well, I thought, I mean, those aren't like cold beers they give you, are they? Yeah, I think they are. I've never been to a beer barn. I Oh, so I guess I haven't either. But I've been to a I Daiquiri Express, had. but You you lived in College Station, I assumed everyone had to. No, no, no. Usually <laughs> civilized folk get them from like the store, you know. I just assumed as you drive into town, they hand you a beer you from go a beer through barn. a barn. Yeah, yeah, on the way. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> All roads in College Station lead through a barn and people <laughs> say howdy to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's how it goes, actually. I forgot about that. Thanks for reminding yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Keeping you honest. So, yeah, we went to this daiquiri place. Um, we went, it was like 5.30, and we got ours. First off, the names of these daiquiris were obscene. Like, Ooh, nice. Yeah, I got to send you a picture of it, because it was, it was, one of them, just for a little preview, was called Suck Me Dry. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, and it was great because on the sign it said, order by the number. They're like, I don't want these strangers telling me these obscene things. Please <laughs> use the number lady. system. <laughs> you please get me boob drink. Boob drink, I like that. <laughs> I failed at coming up with something the best you could dirty and clever at that time. So boob drink it um, was. I ended up getting something called the North Park, and then Kyle got um, Sex in Dallas, which was actually much better than mine. Nice. Um, but it's okay, because he got a gallon of it, so I got to try it later. Damn. Yeah, it was a weird night. I was, like, super exhausted, because I hadn't slept much the night before, but mm. I ended up staying up till, like, four. Um, I don't know, my body's just bad at sleeping now. So, yeah, we got these daiquiris, and then, you know what we did? We watched, there was an online EDM festival. Oh, my gosh. Kyle told me about this. I laughed in his face for like a whole minute. I was like, that sounds like the stupidest fucking thing. Like the point of EDM is to be in like a crowd. Yeah. And be, like, do you stand pumped. in your living room where it's dark and, <laughs> and then you jump around? What do you do? No, you just like get drunk and get fucked up and, and watch TV basically. And it was actually, well, I mean, once I had a few daiquiris, it was very good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was very weird. One guy I really liked because he had like a lot of like Latinx flair. It was good. He, like he put like gasolina in there and I was like, oh shit, that's my jam. Yeah. Um, and between acts, they had this guy called Disinfecto come out, and he would like wipe down all the knobs and shit, and they'd be like, do 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 disinfecto. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So yeah, it was entertaining. Surprisingly, again, I think the daiquiris helped. Yeah, they seem to have disinfecto. That's a good. That's a good one. Yeah, it was it was very <laughs> weird, but I enjoyed it. So that's how I spent my Friday night. But I'm recovered now. So let's. Let's get to our studies. Let's do it. Good students. All right. What are we, what are you studying today? What do you want me to teach you? Um, well, I want you to teach me about, teach me about, Ooh, that's good. Um, the communist manifesto, the communist manifesto. 
All right. Uh, one of Marx's earlier works, 1848, I think we're talking here. Yeah, I didn't know the year until like later, because I was like, what is he referencing? <laughs> like, I spent a lot of the time being like, what even happened in 18-whatever? Yeah, and one of the confusing things about reading Marx, because it's kind of annoying, like, sometimes leftists of various... Uh, of various persuasions will will tell people like when they're asking them, you know, hey, can you explain this idea? Like, what do you mean by this? Blah blah blah. They'll be like, oh, man, you just you know, go read theory. You know, go read some theory, mm. and you'll know this stuff. Yeah, they like send you to school first, basically. Yeah, like please do your homework, and then we'll talk. Ugh. The, but the the annoying thing that is that this stuff is if you're reading like Marx himself and Lenin and really any of these early old guys, is that it's it's referencing stuff from that time period uh so. yeah so like i mean not not to put you on blast now no. but yeah. you said this was going to be easy and you yeah. saw how many notes i had in questions i had whole paragraphs with just question marks next to them so yeah i was i was thinking about that myself when i was reading it and like i recall that i have read it i didn't recall much of it besides maybe like you know certain key points so I don't know if I read, if I read the abridged version or if I read about it or some sort of summary. Um, you were just smarter then or something. Yeah, I just forgot. You were um, like in college. I don't know when I read it, but I did not apparently pay attention to a lot of it. A lot of the more specific things, especially. Yeah. Because I was just, mm. <laughs> it is it is confusing because he's referring to things in that time. He's referring to things obliquely a lot of times, and is there a lot of is there a lot of shady like. Um, passive aggressive kind of tone. Oh yeah, this. I love There's it. So much shade throwing, and he's yes. Marx is very funny. If you once you peel back what he's who he's making fun of, it's pretty funny. Sometimes, okay. Um, he's he's a Marx is nothing if not a messy bitch. Like he is. Some of these were very funny. Yeah, I did have some. I wrote LOL next to things. <laughs> Uh, if you want to follow along with us as we get into this, uh, you can do so. Uh, the, there's a completely free version of this all online at Marxists.org. Honestly, if you just Google Karl Marx Communist Manifesto, um, that's probably what you're going to get. Yeah, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to find. Um, if you want to be um, an extra good student, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. And there we are going to upload my notes, which you'll hear me refer to a lot in the recording um, because I, I did lots of little doodles and question marks and stuff like that. So if you want to get a little, little piece of that for yourself, you can download that there. All right, let's get into it. Okay. Um, yeah, and like I made a lot of notes, like literally as soon as the second word, I was like, haha. Because he used the word specter, and I was like, ooh, spooky. That is such a good opening, too. A specter is haunting Europe. The specter of communism. That's dope. Like, cool. I want to see this metal band, you know? (laughs) like Yeah, for sure. He was a hype man, this first paragraph. Um, It was basically like a throwdown. Like, it was definitely like a mic drop at the end. It was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see early on you you were asking about some names and some groups and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, specifically, Mark says, uh, all the powers of old Europe have entered into a holy alliance to exorcise the specter. The Pope and the Tsar, Metternich and Guizot, French radicals and German police spies. So I knew like half of those people. I'm like, I know who a Pope is. I know who a Tsar is. Yeah. Who are those other guys in the middle? They're similar to the Pope and the Tsar. They're very powerful uh, people at the time. Clemens von Metternich was the prime minister and the foreign minister of the Austrian empire. Okay. 
Okay. So that was still going so on. So he's pretty powerful. Yeah. It was still it was still going on till World War One. He was also very conservative. Like he tried to keep, you know, the power in the hands of the aristocracy and stuff like that. Okay. Guizot is similar. He was the prime minister and foreign minister of France. Okay. And he was also, <laughs> I was reading about him a little bit. He was a big time conservative. Uh, he famously told people who were agitating like for voting rights for everybody, regardless of like property ownership. Mm-hmm. He was telling them, look, if you want to vote, go enrich yourselves, you know, go work hard, save money. You'll be able to vote. That's how you, that's how what you get the to fuck? vote. You know? Uh, he was <laughs> kind of an asshole. Like me. Yeah. God, what a piece of shit. Yeah. He, um, he eventually, his actions kind of directly led to a revolution that overthrew his king. So he kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you have this epic opening, right? Yes. Basically, like you said, it's a, it's a throwdown. It's an observation basically that the powerful are united against communism. You know, they, they say mm-hmm. communism sucks we got to do something about it but marx is here to tell you why it doesn't suck why it's actually cool and why it's a good thing for the workers and why you shouldn't believe everybody saying you know talking crap about it yeah what i liked about it was and he does this throughout where he basically sets he kind of jokingly sets up communism as like a boogeyman so many times he's like Mm -hmm. people think we want to do this and he'll be like we do and it's just great like he's just like fuck it here's what i'm about yeah yeah he has a good way of both kind of provoking that way. Like we said, he's, he's very messy. Mm-hmm. But He's a messy bitch. He's trying to provoke it in a way that uh, makes it clear that it is bad for some people, mm-hmm. but it's good for other people. And it's good for the people from, who he's trying to talk to, you know? Yeah, I mean, for most people, yeah. basically. Okay, cool. So yeah, that first, that first section to, you know, kind of keep up with our recap is basically, hey, everyone is scared of communism, but hey, it's cool. Let me mm-hmm. let me break it down, basically. Yeah. yeah, the preamble. He's just he's getting but getting warmed up. He's he's with a tint of like maybe you should be scared, which I like. <laughs> yeah, basically he's like some of you people in the audience, you guys might you should be kinda scared, but others <laughs> of you, you'll be fine. You're 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 actually everything's gonna be good for you. Uh and then he moves on into the the first of the the main sections. The bourgeois and the proletarians. Here's one big observation I have for this document that I forgot is that I think it's pretty much impossible for me to spell correctly bourgeois or bourgeoisie. No, nope. I, I was making notes literally on the side of the document and I still had to check. Like, what? How, where does the U go? Where does the I go? I'd be looking at it and just, yeah, just leave out an E, <laughs> leave out a U, leave out something. I'd There's always so, get many it wrong. Yeah, so many vowels. So many vowels in French. It it's annoying. It is. Uh, it's a little annoying. But this, this first section basically starts out by outlining... This is kind of what we were talking about last episode, Marx's theory yeah. of historical development. So maybe you saw how much I cribbed from this early part. No, uh, yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't really make any notes in this first, like, I don't know, like the first page or so. Cause I was like, yeah, this is what we talked about last week. I got it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I wasn't, I was not confused. So you did a good job. Awesome. Yeah. That's the, the theory of, uh, of, of kind of class struggle and, and history uh, progressing in that way. Uh, you had a question, though, a little bit later when he starts talking specifically about the third estate. Yeah, what is what is the third estate? Uh, so when he's when he's in that section, he's talking about the old society, the feudal society. The third estate refers to how it was divided up. The king was like at the top, and then he ruled over three different estates. The first estate being the clergy, 
the second estate being the nobles, and then the third estate being the peasants and the and the budding bourgeoisie, the the people who lived in the cities. So okay, um, yeah. So basically, this particular part is about how every in every era the bourgeoisie get more power. I mean, through capital and through resource extraction and exploitation. In the most recent era, they did. Yeah. So in previous eras, they didn't exist yet, right? Like. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So once, but once you get to feudalism, the bourgeoisie starts getting more power. Eventually, they overthrow and become the ruling class, the capitalist class. Yeah. He goes into this a lot later, which this was kind of hard for me to wrap my head around, was talking about how other classes, like there's a reactionary movement to try to overthrow the bourgeoisie, but it was from like higher classes, which makes sense. Uh Like I've, I mean, it's again, Downton Abbey, (laughs) like that's definitely a theme of that, of like people wanting their old power back. Yeah. So yeah, it was interesting to like when he broke that kind of stuff down um, and said like, it, it, I don't know, it felt like a marriage of convenience in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, sometimes people want to take them down. We'll we'll take them down with them. But also, like, we're gonna, then we're going to take them down. Yes, I love that, is that he's, <laughs> he's, he's very frank about it and just, just says, hey, team up with whoever you need to. You know, you got to be friends with the liberals. You got to be friends with the monarchists. Doesn't matter. Team up with them and betray them when the time comes. <laughs> exactly. Very practical, which is great because I was worried this was going to be all, like, utopian stuff. But no, he was like, here's what we do. Yeah. So, yeah, he kind of goes through there and, and really talks up the bourgeoisie saying, you know, talks up in a way saying, like, these guys really <laughs> seized power. You know, they made everything work for them. They are completely in charge. He says, uh, I thought this was a good kind of highlight uh, in an election year in America. Uh, mm-hmm. The executive of the modern state is but a committee for managing the common affairs of the whole bourgeoisie. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Like, we, elections are, are not real. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they do have concrete effects, and they can be used. And I think that Marx does a good job of saying later on, like you said, team up with them, vote for this person, whatever, you know, do it, fight for everything you can, and then turn around and say it's not enough and do more. You know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I know. I was talking to my partner, Kyle. He said that they approved, like, remote voting this year. Is that is that accurate? Did that actually happen? Depends on, you know, which state and everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. He made it sound like it was everybody, but I don't so know. there's in America there's no federal election uh, guidelines or anything, besides like the Voting Rights Act, which says that you can't mm-hmm. discriminate in certain ways. Other than that, like states run their own show. Yeah. Uh, so some states have strict voter ID laws. Some states already had like mail-in ballots universally. Oh, yeah. That's why it's so different. It's because it's up to each state. Okay. Well, I thought you said something like they they were moving forward with more like mail-in voting and stuff. A lot of places are, yeah. Good, good. But I was telling them, I was like, cool, so they can just like screw us over, you know, the regular way instead of like the pandemic way. Like, <laughs> you know, good old-fashioned voter suppression, not necessarily just making you choose between your life and voting. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But they don't really need to. When your choices are as they are, they don't really have to screw you over that way. Oh, man. It's just a bummer. Okay, let's, right. let's go back to this back stuff. To, back to, yeah, back to Marx's problems. Yeah. But essentially, this first part really is the first episode. So, like, listen to that. Haha. Go listen to theory. Yeah, come on. Do your homework. <laughs> yeah, before that, I did want to talk about, like, you, you talked about how um, the bourgeoisie basically run politics. I also highlighted the part that... They do this under the guise of religion as well, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Marx's whole theory, what we were saying last episode, that 
the economy is what politics springs from. It's what culture springs from mm-hmm. and everything. It's all used as a way to justify the way things are, you know? Yeah. And you see that today, like constantly mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you should like just very Puritan ideals. Yeah. It, it expresses, you know, society's values based on what society does for a living. It's lo- it's the same it's kind of a worse version of it, but it's the same as like an ancient societies when they're trying to explain the way the world works, they come up with a creation myth and they say, well, this is how it happened. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, why we do things the way we do things because of this cosmic story. That's what Locke yeah. says happens really in any society. We're no different. Well, yeah. Makes sense. And then I had another note. Oh yeah. Um, this one it has converted the physician, the lawyer, the priest, the poet, the man of science into its paid wage laborers. Um, I think I like that because he talks about this later too, how basically this whole system reduces everybody to suffering in some way. Yeah. Some of these, especially like the priest, like that shouldn't be just about money, but it is same thing with the poet. Like that sucks that, and like science, like science is completely run by where does your funding come from? Yeah. What's profitable? You know, they won't, you know, make or put money into making or researching vaccines because they're not very like, you know, that, that doesn't make you any money treatments make you money and so that's where the you know the money yeah. goes. reproductive health all the you know the classic argument that like all the money goes to viagra instead of like you know finding a pill that doesn't have horrible side effects <laughs> yeah because what do those old senators and congressmen need they need viagra rather than mm-hmm. yep it's ridiculous um yeah, another thing good... i highlighted here was i really liked whenever he talked about the family just because again i'm still reading that marriage book i said i was going to finish it last weekend and then i didn't um oh. <laughs> I, I probably won't finish it this weekend either i i read right before bed so i just get sleepy fair enough so yeah this was about um how the bourgeoisie reduced family relation to a mere money relation which i thought um we kind of talked about this last week too but the idea of you know society was originally a lot more egalitarian when it came to gender and then mm-hmm. as you got more developed that's when we started separating gender roles a lot more and um it's really it was a really good read because this book was uh, marriage history um, because it outlines that quite clearly like community farms like your vi- oh, your whole village worked together basically because you fucking had to yeah women did a ton of work they basically like it like housemaking wasn't just cleaning it was like you carded wool you made soap you like did all this shit mm-hmm. and really supplemented your income with all these different methods and then when you got into like craftsmen guild kind of stuff basically a husband and wife like that was a team like if you're a carpenter you tried to find a lady carpenter so you can have a good business oh, or like sense. a woman who had to run the books or something yeah um huh. and like often people would delay marriage until they were like a master carpenter or whatever or they you know they would finish their apprenticeship mm-hmm. huh. but then as like you it got more industrialized that's when we really started having the idea of like the male breadwinner even though actually it took a while because like women were still like taking in like laundry and stuff like that and not just that but also working in the home um mm-hmm. if you think about it if you if you don't have washing machines uh, laundry mm-hmm. machines dishwashers all the appliances that we have and everything you're talking a wood burning stove and everything yeah that's a to, ton of fucking work yeah it was it was uh you know, washing everything by hand, all that, like, scrubbing Ugh. floors, like, this was not child's play. Oh, I'm just hanging out at the house, you know. Even now, yeah, it's no, still, like, work, but it's not as oh, much work sure. as they were doing back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, it was... And all of it unpaid. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Is like, historically, um, women's work has been 
underpaid or not paid. Yeah. And it's very clear when you put it in these terms of the whole sentimentalism of family covering up this fact. Like, oh, she's just doing it because she loves it. And it's like, no, nah, man, like, this is fucking work. Yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's kind of goes into other traditionally female dominated fields. Mm -hmm. uh, teaching, nursing, any sort of caregiving yeah. field, especially, is sort of, you know, derided in that way of saying, oh, you know, this is something people do because they love it. You really exactly. shouldn't be asking for all this money. Like, you're doing it for the kids. You're doing it for whoever. Don't be greedy, basically. Well, what's interesting is that, like, you can see that happen in real time. Like, my example was going to be, like, teachers used to be mostly male. And mm -hmm. then as women took more of those jobs, like, the wages went down. And same thing, I'm, I mean, I'm a designer, and I, I see that happening in the design field. Like, my graduating class is mostly women. And like, it is hard to make a living in this. Like you have to basically go work for a big corporation. And like, yeah. I'm wondering how much of that has to do with like this fading kind of design bro culture. And now it's young women who are getting underpaid. I mean, yeah, that it's happened in other fields. So it makes sense for it to be happening there too. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised is what I'm saying. Yeah. All right. All right let's get to my big question mark paragraph. <laughs> I like it. Okay. So um, <laughs> Marx was kind of confusing in, in the way he laid this out here talking about uh, the vigor of the Middle Ages, saying uh, basically to break it down, because you know the listeners might not want me to just read the paragraphs off for them. But Marx goes on to, to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Marx goes on to to talk about uh, how much the era of capitalism has achieved, quote unquote, uh, how much it has done. Okay, okay, and he's not he's just saying that it has accomplished these things. And kind of they're bad, you know, they have achieved big things in terms of like industrial output and stuff. But he also says, you know, oh, they've conquered all these places. They've, you know, expanded out into far flung corners of the world. He says, uh, it has conducted expeditions that put in the shade all former exoduses of nations and crusades. So he's like, yeah, what the fuck does that mean? So he's just saying like, oh, that's, you know, oh, the crusades, um, the, the big wars of the past, like their bullshit in comparison to what capitalism can do now. Okay. Like, uh, this new age we're in has produced such abundance. It's far outstripped anything from previous, uh, from previous eras. You know? Okay. And how does it do so? He goes on to say it does so by constantly changing how they're doing things. So instead of just saying, well, this is the, the feudal estate, we're doing this, that's it. Um, it's constantly developing and saying we're going to be more efficient. We're going to, you know, make we're going to time you guys on the assembly line and make sure that you're doing everything as fast as you can. You know, it's constantly driving for more profit. And so constantly, you know, getting better at what it does okay all right so i have a dumb question um and that is uh 1848 can you place that historically for me in terms of like the industrial revolution were they in it before uh, it? yeah so they were in it they were in the industrial okay. revolution this is before so this is as the railroads are expanding um but before they've like completely networked all over the place okay it's you still have a lot of I think like coal fired places, steam fire, you know, that's kind of the factory setting yeah. you're looking at. Um, but yeah, definitely in the Industrial Revolution for sure. Okay, so that makes sense then for him to be like, damn, this is crazy because yeah. it was crazy mm -hmm. as we know. <laughs> and it was wholly new, you know, you're starting to see yeah. people, and he talks about this later, moving from the countryside to the cities mm -hmm. in large numbers urbanization and, and the first like really huge cities in the modern era yeah yeah okay cool 
All right, what's next? Um, let's see, I want he talks a lot about reactionists, but sometimes he capitalizes it. Is that like a group of people? Uh, the reactionists are just yeah, they're just reactionaries. Okay, I didn't know if it was like a party or something because it got because like he's sometimes he capitalizes it, sometimes he doesn't. So I wasn't sure. Uh, it wouldn't have been like a formal political party, I don't think, but you may have had like a reactionary faction that was kind of you know. Mm. But yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, the rest of this part is basically, yeah, like they're, he's talking about how, like how, yeah, quote unquote, a good job they've done. They've done a good job of being terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> drawing in raw materials. Let's see. Oh, I had a question about this. He yeah. talks about, so as in material, so also an in intellectual production, the intellectual creations of individual nations become cro- common property. What does that mean? Um, so that's a that's a very I love this question because yeah I wrote to the side is this bad yeah that's and that's a wonderful question because because earlier before then you're, you're right he's saying basically how bad capitalism is because it's done all these bad things and then he tosses this in there that's like good right it's yeah like it's it, he's talking about you know look at all the fucking resources they're extracting and exploiting look at all these like crazy like I mean I would I'm looking at it from like an environmentalist view like look at look at how bad that is basically and look at how fucking much they're exploiting people and then yeah he throws this in there Mm -hmm. it's great because uh okay so basically is globalization under capitalism bad right that's kind Mm -hmm. of the overall thing and it's he's kind of laying a good point out there that it's bad in terms of what it's used for right now and you're right to think about it from the environmentalist perspective because what is it and what's it doing to people it's exploiting them right Mm -hmm. Um, but it also has some good sides the intellectual creations being common property like that that's a good thing we we kind of share ideas more um we we're closer tied together in terms of the global community um so the way it globalizes things right now is not good like it destroys the environment it's global destruction the environment global wars inequality exploitation that's bad but if we're in charge of that and we have all that industrial capacity, but we can do it like good instead. And we're like not trying to figure (laughs) out how can we, you know, best rape the earth to get as much stuff as we can. And we're thinking, how can we use this responsibly to help everyone? Yeah. I mean, it's like the internet, which, which like is, you know, a very corporate thing and Mm -hmm. like people gouge the fuck out of you for it. But at the end of the day, yeah, I would like internet because then I can like, get on some lefty spaces and yeah yeah so it will be a good thing um it like so it even has some good aspects right now Uh, Mm -hmm. but that you know we can make that the whole everything about it can be good once the people are in control and they can use it to help themselves eventually instead of their bosses yeah yeah Yeah, because he goes on to talk about like you know more more shitty stuff about capitalism including like colonization Mm -hmm. um and basically like i don't know like it he talks about like other countries which are basically forced to join capitalism yeah, um, on pain and of how, extinction. Yeah. I thought that was a really good line. Um, and that basically countries were created by capitalism, which is very true. Like you look at fucking like how Africa was just sliced up and divided based on who wanted what bunch of straight lines. That always works. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's never going to cause any cultural problems. That's, that's totally fine. Um, he calls, okay, so we talked about like urbanization some, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he says he calls rural life. He says, okay, uh, thus rescued a considerable part of the population from the idiocy of rural life. Is he just being judgy or is he joking? Uh, I think it, well, 
So it may be sort of an antiquated use. Um, I think okay. it means more like ignorance or like okay. kind of simpleness of it. Like a quaint. Yeah, quaint or yeah, kind of rustic in outlook. Okay. He is kind of being judgy. Like, like he is kind of saying like, you know, when he you're a country bumpkin. But he's not meaning it to be like, you're a complete moron, you know? Yeah. And she's like, you don't as know as former, about enough stuff. You're not as cultured. As a former country bumpkin, I'm offended. <laughs> well, but you've escaped the idiocy of rural life. I have. <laughs> I'm, I'm living that city mouse life. Um, okay. I, my next question is about the term social labor. Social which labor, I didn't, yeah. I didn't get what that was. Um, Marx is talking about, the again, extolling the quote-unquote wonders of capitalism, you know, like how... It has subjected nature's forces to man, machinery, application of chemistry. Basically saying, wow, look, you know, we've made so many advances. How have we done this? How has this happened? Uh, his term social labor here is just referring to mass labor. Like society okay. is being employed to do these things. Um, okay. Well, it's, I think it's a good point because you get a lot of conservatives saying things like, well, capitalism has brought us all these great things. Like, you know, all these inventions and all this shit and like whatever. Um, but it's like, yeah, but it also like, it wasn't, you know, the God of capitalism doing that. It was people and their labor. Right. Like whenever people, you know, like the job creators argument, like, mm -hmm. which makes me so fucking mad. It's like Jeff Bezos isn't out there de hand delivering all those packages. Like exactly. <laughs> he did not do all the work. That's what Marx is pointing out here. But with the term social labor is okay. We've done all these things. You're right. It's not the Titans of industry doing it on their own they are the ones marshalling the social labor you know the society they're, yeah. they're the ones directing them to do these things it's society that's creating all these advancements but it's a few who are reaping the rewards yeah that makes sense yeah he's basically saying all these accomplishments are really the result of social labor yeah like we could have all done it together instead of relying on one man's pocketbook yeah and that's kind of the next step he wants to take mm -hmm. cool um, let's see. My next note is a doodle of Mickey it. Mouse in a sorcerer hat. <laughs> the sorcerer who is no longer able to control the powers of the netherworld, whom he is called up by his spells. He was clearly like fresh off a awesome session of D and D. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. He he rolled a warlock, and he's just really psyched about it. Yeah, I love that line. Um, but good. it gets to a good portion that you were, uh, that you had some questions on, uh, in general here, this passage, I kind of treated as one question for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where he talks about the crises of, of capitalism. Yeah. This was confusing to me. Like it, I'm going to take a guess and you tell me how far away I am from being right. Yeah. It's like basically capitalism fuels its own destruction by getting too big and too good at what it does. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, basically. Okay, yep. I did it. And its own temporary destruction, like uh, when he's referring to these crises, he's referring to repeated cycles that have happened, you know? Yeah, I want more context of these. Like, what what is he referring to? Uh, have you heard of the, like, the boom and bust cycle? Yes. All right, yeah, so that's what, kind of what he's referring to here is that capitalism will develop and develop and grow and grow and produce and produce more and more rich, rich, you know, stock, in modern day terms, it'd be like, you know, stock market soaring. Mm -hmm. Everybody's great. Money's everywhere. Unemployment's 0.5% or something. And then boom, crash. Okay. And, and this whole passage is, what the hell? Why does this happen? Why does this keep happening? Yeah. It's just like you said, the productive forces gets too good at what it's doing. 
gets beyond what is good for the capitalist. So this is kind of a strange distinction because it's not like we're drowning in stuff. Like we can't, you know, we're walking through the streets and all this shit is just like, I can't walk. Yeah, there's, there's too many TVs in the way. I can't get through. <laughs> it's not that it's not that it's bad for people. Okay. What he's saying here is that capitalism relies on, right? Building more and more profit for the capitalists. That's the pro that's the profit motive, right? That's why yes. they do things. Uh, so in, you know, this kind of fucked up system, hospitals don't run to heal people. They run, they heal people to make money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, as the cycle progresses, okay. As they get more efficient at, at producing things to make a profit, mm -hmm. they have to keep their wages low too. Because if you don't, okay. like if you just start paying your workers, whatever they want, uh, they're, you know, you're going to. Lose money. Lose money for yourself. Lose profit. It's cause yeah. some, and some other firm is not going to do that. They're going mm -hmm. to keep paying their workers dirt, and they're going to make more profit than you. They're going to kick you out and monopolize the whole thing, and, and you know okay. you lose. So all of them are have an interest of keeping wages low, increasing profits. Well, eventually, what happens? People don't have enough, you know, money uh, to buy all the shit they're producing. Oh, right. Okay. Like, uh, is that what happened in this? I, this podcast should be called Christine Asks Stupid Questions. Is that what happened in the Great Depression? It's part of the story. Yeah. So it's not, okay. it's not completely it. But one thing Marx is saying is that people get squeezed out of the markets and um, demand, you know, really shift, uh, quickly falls because of that because nobody can afford stuff. And the other thing is as people produce, as capitalists produce more and more, they start, uh, you know, flooding the markets and it become like they make less money off of stuff because of that. If they mm. do that. Cause there's, you know, let's, let's pick an arbitrary item. You know, like there's so many houses out there that no one needs that many houses. Is that what they're saying? Or no one can afford that many houses. No one can afford that many houses at a rate that would benefit that the would, capitalists. Okay. So this is that the key thing here is sense. he's saying, like we said, it's not that too many TVs are in our way. It's not that we're like, you know, the roads become crowded because there's too many houses on the block. What we're saying is it's not that it's bad for people. It's that it's bad for capitalists. Okay. So when the system starts producing too much. So too, go ahead. I'm going to keep going with this house analogy because it's making it easier for my brain. So I'm a, I'm a house company. I make houses. That's not how houses work, but pretend. Um, <laughs> All right. We could pick something else, but whatever. We're already in it. So. I, I built a bajillion houses and because I got so good at building houses, I can now build, you know, a bajillion of them in a day. And I do that. But now no one can afford to buy these houses at a price where I'm making a profit. So I just spent all my capital building houses that nobody's going to buy. Yes. And okay. so think about it. What would a sane society do at that point? All right. They'd if, be like, let's give these houses to homeless people. <laughs> right. Uh, if, if a sane society has a food overproduction, too many potatoes, let's hand out oh the potatoes. Oh my God, the potato videos are stressing me out. Have you seen those? I've, no, I've seen pictures, but I haven't seen videos. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I don't, I think I saw like, like one video, mostly pictures. Yeah. Of just like fucking people in Idaho or whatever. Just, just like, I'm not making a profit on these potatoes. I'm just going to get rid of them. That's what we're saying by it's no longer in the interest of the capitalists to do that so to provide so yeah the farms what you know they don't grow that food to feed people they grow that food so that they can sell it to people and make a profit you know okay because this has always been a very confusing tenet of capitalism to me like you know since if you're listening to this way later congratulations you made it but we're in the middle of this pandemic and 
you know, there's all these stories about the potatoes. There's stories about like planes are flying back and forth just to use fuel crops. Like people are literally putting the plow thingy over their fields. Yeah. Plowing it back under. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and I'm just like, what the fuck, guys? We could use that stuff. Not the first time it has happened. We did <sighs> similar things uh, in the Great Depression. You've got people lining up in, you know, for soup kitchens, uh, hungry and out in the street. And meanwhile, you've got boarded up houses because people can't rent them, at, you know, to, to people and, and make money. You've, you've got farmers plowing under their fields because they're, they're looking to decrease supply to increase prices and help themselves. What the fuck? This is a crazy system, and that's what Marx that's is saying. Insane. Is the reason that's happening is because who decides things in the economy? The people in charge. And if they're not going to make money from it, they are no longer going to do it. They would rather, he says, you know, destroy it, um, the, an enforced destruction of mass pr- productive forces. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, instead of you know just saying, well, I'm going to lose money, they would rather you know keep it from people. That's like that's insane you would if you showed that to like a kindergartner they'd be like that's that's incorrect (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. not what we should do but that's where you're saying the these economic crises come from is not because all of a sudden you know there was a famine there was a drought there was Mm -hmm. not something like that that's man-made you know the problem is we have these too much stuff for it to be good for the capitalists you know that's pretty nuts yeah it's no longer good for them to keep us alive to <laughs> feed us to houses you know yeah it's no longer profitable to sell food or whatever yeah i know you were talking too about um i don't know how people i guess spend money in the economy mm-hmm. i saw this great tweet about the um like the 1200 hundred dollar surplus or stimulus check um and people were like i guess i don't know who it was that was talking it was some some dumb white man in charge i'm sure um but he was saying like we were surprised they didn't spend it on like cars and like (laughs) houses and i'm like do you know how much a house is like do you know what money is like they're like everyone used it for food and rent i'm like yeah because we needed that like are you stupid they were surprised we didn't spend it on cars yeah or like they they thought we were gonna like go fucking take a vacation with it or something. Like he's basically disappointed in the way we spent the money because it wasn't as good for the economy. Yeah. Well, with twelve hundred dollars, what are you supposed to with twelve hundred dollars? Especially sold to you as like, hey, this is a one time thing. Don't get comfortable mm-hmm. with it. You know, like if you were saying, oh, you're gonna get twelve hundred dollars, you know, every so often, maybe more people would have said, you know, I'll, I'll blow this one. I'll use the other one responsibly or something, but. Yeah, I I used mine on Lake Crusade. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Um, okay, so yeah, basically talking about the crises that that capitalism makes for itself, mm-hmm. being too efficient, I guess. My next question was this sentence: "But the price of a commodity, and therefore also of labor, is equal to its cost of production." Now that sounds like a sentence I would read over and over in my high school economics class, and then give up. They might have it in one paragraph somewhere in your high school economics book and then be spend the rest of the page saying, yeah, this is bullshit. Marx is wrong. <laughs> Marx sucks. You know, um, What he's saying here, this is his kind of theory of like, basically the idea that the price of an object is uh, set by how much labor went into uh, mm. so how much capital and how much labor went into it equals the cost, you know, plus whatever okay. the profit is going to be. Okay, because I understood the rest of the paragraph, so maybe I just got hung up on that one sentence because there, it sounded like the rest of that part was talking about how 
basically, as things get more mechanized, um, it's technically easier to make something because instead of, you know, an artisan welding something, Mm -hmm. you have an assembly line or whatever. And because it's easier, they can tell people to work longer hours and faster and all that shit and pay them less because they're like, hey, all you're doing is pressing a button. And that means the price of the object is cheaper and the wages are cheaper. And that means they make more profit. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That was a a very good insight. You actually helped kind of clear that second part of the paragraph up for me when I read your notes. I was like, okay, okay. I I get this a little more. I kind of skimmed that whenever I did it because I was like, (laughs) "Mm." but yeah, uh, the confusing sentence is just to say that the capitalist can charge, you know, whatever the price is, is based on how much labor, how much he had to pay for labor. Yeah. So as labor gets easier, quote unquote easier he can cut them wages yeah and he can lower prices and yeah my note here was on the sentence or the part of the sentence there were as the repulsiveness of the work increases the wage decreases and my first thought was service industry because my husband's in the service industry and all his friends are and um not just service i mean he likes his job but like you know we're seeing it now with a lot of the essential jobs you know Mm -hmm. being touted as fucking heroes and stuff it's like those are very difficult jobs and those are the jobs that get paid the fucking least and uh, bullshit jobs also talks about this we referenced that last week Mm -hmm. um i don't he has a great term for them it's it's not this but i i'm remembering it as like icky jobs or something like that like unfortunate jobs basically Mm -hmm. where it's like it's so much fucking work but it is essential like people who work sanitation people i mean teachers like that's so much fucking work and you're getting fucking not paid at all yeah yeah um and i think marx even later on in this talks about oh capitalists or our critics say oh if you did this communism stuff everybody's going to be universally lazy they're not going to work at all and he's like your society right now the more you work the less you get paid the less you work the more you get paid so you guys would have already been completely universally lazy if that was true (laughs) no it's it's i love that line because it's absolutely true like like Kyle really misses his job because it was so physical and like it just really. I'm talking about Kyle a lot this episode. He's just he's a star he's of the on show. Heart. He's a star of the show. Maybe I'm rewarding him because he listened to the first episode. <laughs> nice, and you'll you'll keep him listening if you keep you yeah. know, people's favorite word is their name. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Um, anyway, but yeah, like it is such a physical job. Like he would come home and there's like literal like fucking sweat stains on him, and I'm like, you need to go change clothes. It's horrifying. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's the hardest, most physical labor, I, I feel like, is just not rewarded in this country anymore. And like, I, it's just like, and I think about my job, which is like pretty, pretty chill. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just on, on my computer all day, moving shit around. Like, it's not that hard to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Intellectual work is definitely rewarded at a much higher rate than physical. Yeah. For sure. It's very weird. So what else do we have here? Um, oh, my note. He kind of talks a bit about how we've gone from like artisan work to factory work. And I, I put it, my note here was, ah, the good old days in quotes and then by Grandpa Marks. <laughs> nice. Yeah, he does, he does kind of reflect on that a little wistfully. Which is weird because the rest of the time he's like, yeah, that was still bad too. Yeah, he goes back later on and it's just like, uh, when he talks about the reactionaries wanting to turn back the clock, not realizing that the be- they were actually the bad old days, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, you know, I think he's he's maybe just doing a rhetorical thing here. Yeah, um, maybe it's a joke. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, talking about wage slavery, basically, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. how, how little can we pay these people? 
Yeah. I like this next <laughs> okay. part that you mentioned, uh, you know, unpacking this. Uh, it kind of refers yes. back to what we were talking about before, uh, where Mark says the more uh, the labor of men is superseded by that of women, differences of age and sex don't, you know, don't play in as much. Uh, like we said that this, the capitalism is now lumping everyone into, you know, into the proletariat, into having to sell their labor. There's no longer as many distinctions, I guess, between that. Yeah. So I want to unpack that because I, I want to make sure that I was understanding that correctly, which I, I think I was based on your explanation just now. Um, but like from a historical view of women in the workforce, it, I mean, that's definitely the cycle of it or the, definitely the progression was like, I, I am now at the part of my book where, you know, the 50s and 60s are finishing up and now women are entering the workforce. They've been entering it, you know, for a while now. Yeah. But now they have to. Um, they were talking about the recession in the 70s and they said that um, young men were hit the hardest. Like their their wages decreased just about as much as the average person's wages decreased in the Great Depression. Oh, wow. Um, men under 30, I think, was that stat. Um, and so like you no longer could afford a house just on a single income. And so mm-hmm. women had to enter it. But yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting that, I don't know, I wanted to make sure the labor of men is superseded by that of women. What does that, what does that mean? Uh, so he's just saying the more it's superseded, so it's taken over by that of women. I don't think he's meaning that women are taking their place in the workforce yeah. so much as just also joining it. And also okay, the, the word superseded tripped me up and I was like, wait, what? Yeah, basically he's saying we're all having to do this. I think it's a little bit... It's a little bit that Marx didn't have, you know, later historians who looked at these eras and said, hey, actually, women are doing a ton of labor before yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I think he's kind of downplaying that a little bit or doesn't know about it or, or whatever. I think so. But it's not to say that, like, women, you shouldn't take we're from just, this that women were, were just sitting around before that. Like, just chilling. They were always definitely doing work. It's just now they're also doing work in the factories, in the mills. We all know 1800s was the best time to be a woman. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. Um, anyone that answers, they would go to the past in a time machine is like, man, okay. Yeah. Either a, they're, a they're either a white male or, yeah. Or dumb. Yeah. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that was my kind of note there was that like, yeah, women are actually working. Like maybe they're more visibly working now, but like, yeah, it, it was kind of a strange note to me. I think it's an appeal. Uh, in some respects, I think it's trying to say, women, you're in this mm-hmm. too, man. You're in the proletariat as well. You are, you know, you're increasingly a part of the, the factory floor and all that. Yeah. All right. Let's continue. Um, let's see. I wrote vicious circle. Why did I write that? You're talking oh, about okay. you know, when, you, when, you, when you come out the, the, when you come out of the factory, you just got paid. Everybody wants your money, man. It's like the stimulus check thing when he's, uh, Oh, I can't believe they didn't go buy a car with it. Man, they got, you know, as soon as they got that check, somebody was asking them for rent. Somebody was ask, asking them to pay their credit card bills. That's all they say in there. Um, yeah, for sure. It's like your money's already spent by the time you earned it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what do you have to do? You have to go, you have to go back to work because you're already out of money. Yeah. Yeah. Wage slavery. It's a thing. Yep. Um, let's see. And then I talked about, um, I talked about, Mark's talked about and I made notes on, um, <laughs> talking about the middle class, like, tradespeople he says tradespeople shopkeepers and retired tradesmen basically these people all turn into the proletariat so i wrote my note was was talking about small businesses and artists it's gone from this like you know quaint like crafty thing to do 
Um, and you see it now, like every young person now is like, hey, I like to sew now. How can I turn this into an Etsy? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like everyone's scrambling. Grind culture, man. You've, cause yeah. you, you've got to, you've got to do, you know, you've got to monetize it. Otherwise you're wasting your time. Why are you doing that if you're not making money <laughs> off of it, you know? Yeah. It's a weird cultural thing, but it's not just like out of the blue, right? Culture comes from the economy. And so why does that become the cultural thing? Because people have to, because the economy is such that. If you're not making money off of things, you're falling behind. You're falling into the proletariat. Yeah. So, like, I really liked this point that he makes, which is because there's so much competition from, like, larger businesses, you have to grind. Um, You know, you can use the example of artists because that's what I'm familiar with. Like, I understand that anyone can go out there now. Like, they have all these businesses now that are like, well, draw a picture of your dog. Like these big businesses are doing this. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck, I, that's what I do for people for money. Yeah. So like these larger businesses are just like taking that or like, you know, when you go into, like, I joke about this whenever I used to be able to go shopping in the real world. Um, <laughs> once something makes it to like TJ Maxx or target or something, like you'll see all these really cute like prints and stuff. And it's like, where do they get the inspiration for that? I can almost guarantee you is from like a small artist, you know, doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. So like basically these artists are forced to be in competition with these humongous brands, um, who are usually stealing from them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think Marx's prediction here that they, that this middle class would kind of fall into the proletariat is only kind of partially correct. Like artisans, like bakers and, you know, like, yeah, like why would I go to a fucking nice artisan bakery when I can go to fucking Kroger and get something very similar? Right, yeah, I think that partially that plays out. Obviously, you do have still a middle class or whatever. You know, even if people are bad about defining that, you do still have people who make a pretty good living and 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 kind of have privileges above what you would consider a regular like proletariat person. So I don't, I don't know if, you know, everyone you mean like up, a small business owner or something. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, that class still exists, even if it does kind of get squeezed as he talks about, I think the process he's writing this in 1840s. The process is obviously a lot slower than he thought it would be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Cause I'm like, yeah, we, st- we still have those people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it goes on to talk about the, the Luddites, basically the people, the people destroying the machinery. Uh huh. Yeah, okay. Who is destroying it? Uh, the Luddites. Uh, the Luddites were a movement in, in England. Oh, and I thought it just meant dumb people. That's its modern connotation. Or oh, okay. It originated, I say as, dumb. It originated as people uh, destroying machinery because that machinery was putting them out of work. Um, oh, putting, yeah, because a Luddite means like you're bad at technology, right. right? And so, you know, later on people just said, oh, well, those Luddites, you know, they hated technology, but... <laughs> that strips it of its actual class-like meaning, which was they hated that the technology was was taking from them and giving to their bosses, you know. And Marx kind of characterizes it as irrational, like mm-hmm. you kind of you know don't hate the the messenger machinery, hate the hate the capitalist above it, sort of thing. Okay, yeah. So they were the anti-technos. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for context, <laughs> we used to play Legos. And we would put little families, and we would have the same families every time. They're basically dynasties. Yeah. Um, and one family was the Technos, and in their house, we would put every piece of technology-related Lego pieces inside their house. Yeah, and they every, were obsessed with technology. Every control panel, every like computer face, that you know, tile we had, everything was in their house. Yeah, they were the Technos. <laughs> oh, good times. Okay, so they were the anti-Technos, mm-hmm. um, but they were doing it for a reason. They weren't just like I'm 
com- computers are confusing, you know, or, you know, in this case, granaries are confusing. Yeah. They're doing it because like, hey, I used to work at a mill and now I can't. Right. Yeah. It was okay. for a reason, not just because they were stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really funny, though. That the, the modern word means stupid. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. that's bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next paragraph, I just have a big question mark. So I'm going to lean back. You explain. All right. Lean back. I explain. Marx here is talking about you had the, the bourgeoisie being compelled to set the whole of the proletariat in motion. Basically, this, this paragraph is a confusing way of saying that while working people uh, in our current stage are sometimes united in things. Okay, they're sometimes bound together to accomplish a task. So far, they have only done so at the behest of the ruling class. So the the, the bourgeoisie sometimes uses them to do stuff, uh, to fight other class enemies. So like to rile them up against the old aristocracy, the old feudalism, right? They're like, those guys are bad, right? You want to help us, you know, get the vote and uh, have free trade and stuff like that. Okay. And the bourgeois, the uh, proletariat will be like, yeah, we do. They're kind of stirred up by the, by the okay. bourgeoisie. So it's being like, hey, you don't want to just pay all your taxes to the king or whatever. Don't you want to like be in a society where you too can own a business? Yeah, yeah. They, they, okay. The workers have been duped into working together, but not in their interests yet. They've been okay. used to fight other classes they've been used to fight other countries okay if fighting some other some war because it's good for the country Mm -hmm. but they haven't yet uh he's just saying that even though they've combined sometimes they haven't yet combined as a class yet they haven't said we're proletariats workers we're fighting for workers we're fighting for ourselves they've only been stirred up by other people to fight for other people yeah i mean like the american revolution is a good example of this of like it's you know, veiled in all this patriotic sentiment of freedom and shit. And it's like, no, some white guys didn't want to pay some taxes. Like that's, (laughs) that's what happened. White guys made so much money here. They're like, I don't want to share. Yeah. (laughs) You have a big enough cut already King. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Marx goes on to make some extremely good predictions. um, Basically saying like machinery is going to get rid of um, basically all specialized labor and it's going to make everyone poor, which is like, Hmm. Yeah. I think that happened guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, my note was that like, nobody can buy a house anymore. <laughs> like it's just not a thing we do anymore. Um, unless you're very rich, like just buy outright, buy a house or just, like, yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, people can, yeah, people can manage mortgages and stuff, but you know, increasingly barely, but they can, you know? Yeah. But it's, it's, much rare, especially for younger people. Like, yeah. and then people get pissed at us, and it's like, "Fuck, well, we're buying it. too much like, avocado toast, and <laughs> lattes, and all this." <laughs> Ridiculous. What's next? I like this little part where he does talk about uh, workers starting to agitate um, and saying, "You know, now and then the workers are victorious, mm. but only for a time." You know, he's he's kind of talking about those early labor struggles that were ruthlessly put down like bloodily lethally put down yeah Um, yeah and he's saying though he's kind of he's kind of giving people a little bit of hope in a dark time because he's saying the real fruit of their battles lies not in the immediate result them getting their heads split open uh, (laughs) but in the ever-expanding union of the workers the union has helped on you know it's it's basically you're losing this battle but you are learning how to combine and how to fight for yourself yeah and we've already talked about the sun but i i like this line of 
Uh, the, this union is helped on by the improved means of communication that are created by modern industry. I really like that because, it, like we were talking about, as companies combine, you get more people talking. As, you know, telecommunications improve, you get more people talking. And, like, those things were all created by capitalism, and we get to use those to bring it down. Yes. Um, there's, a, there's a line later on that we'll get to where he's talking about capitalism digging its own grave. I love that line. Um, let's see. He got a little ambitious here where he's saying like, oh, we, we can do this in a few years. And I, I, I drew a sad face next to that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He's talking about <laughs> hey, the railways make it to where we're going to have a union all over this country. Like, you know, we're talking five years. <laughs> it's in <Yeah>. the bag. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, sorry, honey. No, it's great because this is a little bit of backstory to the manifesto. Since it's written in 1848, it's published slightly before the, like a wave of revolutions. They're just called mm. the revolutions of 1848 that kind of sweep through Europe. But they're bourgeois revolutions, basically. It's kind of sweeping away the last little parts of uh, feudalism, absolute monarchy and stuff. Where were these revolutions? So you have them in, in France, in, in Germany, or the German Confederation in Prussia. And oh, stuff. yeah. Uh, in Austria. I think Italy has some as well. Okay. But generally, yeah, they're sweeping away the old vestiges of that. They're getting more democracy, but, you know, property holder democracy. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're kind of making it more of a bourgeois liberal establishment sort of thing. And early communists, like, joined in with that and were like, yeah, we also want to, you know, do stuff for the workers. And people were like... <laughs> the fuck no we don't we don't yeah. want to do no that. that's not why we're here <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay um let's see oh i liked this part too was he was talking about the competition the idea of like you know if you don't take this job somebody else will or mm -hmm. you know you better not complain you should be happy to be here uh, it's it's all that fucking you know survival of the fittest crap is my note <laughs> yeah it's it's that it's what's used for union busting it's what's used for scabbing you know any any of these things as ways of keeping workers from solidarity with each with each other and as a class um yeah you pit them against themselves and say just like you said yeah someone else will do it we can find anybody it's one of the big reasons for keeping a portion of the society unemployed because if you don't you're gonna have to start paying people more oh wait you know? explain that more so if you have unemployed people as you know if if unemployment is eight percent right okay i'm your boss all right What's uh, up? you come into work and you're like damn i want more money i can tell you look if you're serious about this and you're not going to work for the amount you're getting paid right now i'll fire you I'll get somebody else. Eight percent of the country is available for immediate hire. And I bet that's much easier to do with workers who have like, ugh, I don't want to use the term low skill, but like low wage work um, because there's less training involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's if it's easier to if it's an easier onboarding process or whatever, then yeah. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Because like with my job, that takes a lot more like training involved. Like, oh, did you did you go to design school? Did you like you have to have all these like qualifications and stuff you know if it's a fast food job or like that you can get trained fairly easily it's very hard work but yeah. like you can train someone very quickly on it yeah so you don't yeah we don't have to use the term unskilled labor but if there are like yeah i hate fewer, that term that's what i was avoiding if there are fewer credentials credentials yeah because that's all it is really like mm -hmm. anyone can do most of these jobs unless it's like you're a neurosurgeon or something right but yeah. it's like do you have the experience do you have whatever right yeah do you, you have, have the piece of paper that says you can do years it? experience and a degree yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly again i'm not uh, don't come at me no. i'm not trying to be an asshole about it <laughs> no and, and you're you're completely right to to avoid 
you know, calling it unskilled because that's stupid. Like unskilled There's labor. Still man. Skills. I don't know how to do any, you know, I don't know how to do that stuff. I couldn't No. Even if I were, to, I would be shitty at it for a good period of time because I wouldn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, that's, yeah, it's not unskilled labor at all. Yeah. Um, so we just, can just say like, this is more likely to happen with low wage workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, that's what Marx is talking about there. And then we run into a big, por- a big red portion that I kind of tried to break down. <laughs> yeah. Right. So red is, is what I use to mean. I have a question about it. And this next section is like all red. So yeah, take me away. All right. So first you ask about Mark saying, um, he's saying how workers movements, um, can take advantage of divisions among the bourgeoisie itself. And you're okay. like, uh, how, how can it do that? Examples. Mm-hmm. Basically this ties into later on. And we mentioned this too, that, uh, that communists are willing to work with anybody. Yes. You know, uh, he's, he's kind of alluding to that already and means saying, to an end. Yeah. And saying, Hey, look, if you got some bourgeoisie fighting for some stuff that we want, we'll take them. You know, I don't care if, you know, they're technically a class enemy, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll work on them for now. Um, liberal, social Democrat, weirdo, socialist, aristocrat, doesn't matter. You know, we'll, we'll team <laughs> up with them. He goes on to start talking about who all the bourgeoisie was, is fighting against like the different class enemies of the bourgeoisie. He starts with the aristocracy. Who's we're okay. saying about those revolutions is they're still trying to get rid of the last remnants of that old. Society. Okay. So it's cool to help them with that. Cause we also want that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. So it's fine to help them with that. You know, the, the bourgeoisie is on the one hand fighting them. They're also fighting, uh, the portions of the bourgeoisie antagonistic to the process of industry, uh, progress of industry. All that means is, uh, like, it's it's mainly referring to like small artisans, the old guilds, mm, uh, the reactionary people we talked about. Yeah, people who wanted to kind of keep it the old way because because it was working for them. Okay, they're not aristocrats; they still like kind of in the bourgeoisie class, but they liked it how it was. Mm-hmm. And the bourgeoisie of other countries. Okay, yeah. My note here was: Is this the China argument? Which is <laughs> it's really stupid. Like we have to compete against China or something? Yes. I feel like people bring that up all the time. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Uh, Yeah, it kind of is. I think that's used just to kind of keep people in line and say, like, America's good. You know, we got to because because China's bad. We got to keep going against China. Uh, But I don't know. I I guess they do have some sort of concern about, like, you know, China's out competing us. They're stealing our intellectual property or whatever. So I guess there is still some element of this country you know cross-country competition yeah. so that's kind of yeah. how i read it of like yeah that's why we have to keep prices low and wages low because we need to compete and like that's why it's good that we're an american factory or whatever and it's like well cool but also like we should not let that dictate what we're doing yeah yeah that's a good insight to it actually that's what oh, i thanks. love about teaching is you learn so much from it you, you figure out different ways to think about something as you're trying to make sense of it cool awesome so yeah my my next question was that I mean, again, we talked about examples. I I was wondering, um, it talks about how the bourgeoisie will try to appeal to the proletariat to ask for help. Um, I was thinking, like, is this like bailouts? Because we did that. (laughs) Oh, like they're asking, hey, please help us directly. Yeah, or like right now with the fucking pandemic being like, oh, please help your economy by buying shit, by buying a car and by going back to work. Yeah, that's 100%. that's, That's part of it for sure. I wasn't even thinking along those lines. Uh, so that's a really good insight is that uh, step up, do your part for our economy. We're all the economy. In this together. Yeah. Uh, help us out, like you said, with bailouts or help us out by spending your stimulus check on cars, you know, 
Yeah, no, that for sure. I was thinking in the terms of uh, like going to war with another country. Oh, that too. Yeah. Like saying, you know, step up and, you know, they're going to use their, their uh, proletariat. You know, that's who they're, the rich aren't fighting their own wars. They're (laughs) they're sending us, you know, it's America going to war against these countries rather than like the oil companies, the defense contractors. It's the grunts getting conscripted into it. So that's another, that's another way to look at it too, is the economic side. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, Let's see. What else is going here? I had another big question mark. This sentence further, as we have already seen, entire sections of the ruling class are, by the advance of industry, precipitated into the proletariat or are at least threatened in their conditions of existence. Mm -hmm. Hey, what's that? What's going on there? All right. So (laughs) precipitated, they are raining down into the proletariat. They are... uh, Oh, I thought they meant like, there's another meaning of that, right? Like it, that means like it came before or something. Oh, yeah, I guess so. That's true. It's okay. Um, But no, he's saying basically, right, he already mentioned that capitalism is kind of ever-changing and ever, you know, innovating. Uh, That's a stupid (laughs) word for it. But developing its industry and stuff, right? And as that happens, people keep getting bucked over. Like we were saying with with, uh, increasing automation and stuff, people keep getting knocked out of where they were into lower classes. So he's saying that uh, even members of the ruling class will get knocked out of it. Oh. Uh, maybe they get outcompeted. They get bought out by another company or shoved out of the market or whatever. And, or okay. go bankrupt. They end up in the or proletariat or something. Get fired or something. Yeah. Yeah. So even bourgeois, you know, even bourgeois assholes can end up down <laughs> with the proles. Yeah. I, I take a small amount of pleasure from stories about like, people getting fired from the pandemic, but they were like in these really cushy jobs and they're like, well, now nobody's hiring. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about like, I guess that sucks, but also like, welcome, welcome to the <laughs> welcome grind. To world. Yeah. I mean, I do feel for them in some ways just uh, because of how uniquely difficult it must be to Oh yeah. search for a job in this situation. I mean, what the hell? It's already, it's already hell world to try to find a job even when you can go out in public. Yeah. It's already bullshit. So moving on, though, in in the section, he talks about the part of the bourgeoisie cutting itself off and and joining with the proletariats, right? Hey, is that me? That's us. He's talking about (laughs) us. Yeah, the bourgeois Rich people who are nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he specifically says, comprehending theoretically the historical movement as a whole. That's like the exercise we're doing right now. It Uh, is, yeah. And what we were talking about last episode is figuring out how this whole thing works and saying, huh, yeah, we're on the side of the proletariat. They sound dope. Like, let's do that. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's talking about class traders, all right? Yeah. They are not bad uh, listeners out there. Uh, Class traders can can be good for our liberal listeners. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, good example of a class trader who could, you know, do a lot of good stuff for, you know, the working class people, social security, you know, the New Deal, stuff like that more revolutionary types. Lenin was also pretty middle class and uh, he, he was very, you know, his father I think was like a professor or something like that or Ooh. in charge of a school system somewhere. So yeah, I mean, class traders, kind of cool. <laughs> Take help where you can get it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, so this next part he talks about, yeah, I mean, kind of continuing this theme of like all these people are going to be against the bourgeoisie, but it's it's kind of a self-serving battle. Like, you know, the people who want to keep their jobs, the people who are getting pushed out with competition. Mm-hmm. He says it in a bit of a judgy way, but I don't think he means, uh, it, he doesn't mean it like keep them out of the movement. He's kind of trying to tell people, be aware of what they are, 
why they're in this. Like, use them. Yeah. But these guys might, you know, at any moment when it's not working for them, you know, watch out, basically. Don't get too close. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then you have the note about the infamous lumpen proletariat. Yeah, what the fuck is that word? This one's just basically problematic, I think. It, it, uh, yeah, this one looked really problematic. It sounded like he was talking like, okay, let's. I want to read this little quote. Go ahead. The yeah. dangerous class, lumpen proletariat, the social scum, that passively rotting mass thrown off by the lowest layers of the old society. Like, some very judgy language. Is he just talking about very poor people? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Marx says <laughs> uh, that these people are in such, you know, squalor and, and are generally this is marx's kind of point of view here are generally too stupid Oof. or too criminal Oof. or too wretched marx um, or all of these things basically they're not capable of accurately doing anything besides either being fooled or bribed into you know helping the proletarians or helping the reactionaries they as a class are not able to you know really get it and really join with the proletariat Carl, I have my hands on my hips in disappointment. <laughs> I think it's bad. I just don't think we should. Yeah. I, you know, this is one of those things. Just, just cross this part out. Like, yeah. don't do this. Problematic faves. I mean, I already crossed out his sections of discovering America. I just crossed out every time he said discover. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, good. <laughs> yeah. That's bad. And it may, he may have come from a sympathetic perspective, kind of. He didn't express it here, but he may have been like, hey, you know, it's not their fault. Like, society's fucked them over so bad that. They can't do anything but look out for themselves. And if the reactionaries come and bribe them, I mean, they're going to take it because what do you expect? Ugh. I, I mean, he might just Which be like saying, I get. yeah, like, but he doesn't Could express happen. it well. He expresses it kind of no. like it's their own character. Yeah. Know? Like they're so morally wrong. Like they're just, they're just bad people or something. It's like, oh man, chill. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> moving on. Let's hope he redeems himself later. He does. He does. Let's see. Okay. I was confused about this part. So talking about um, proletariat is without property. His relation to his wife and children has no longer anything in common with the bourgeois family relations. Stripped him of every trace of national character. Law, morality, religion are to him so many bourgeois prejudices behind which lurk and ambush just as many bourgeois interests. So basically, because they're so embedded in this class, they no longer care about any of those things. Is that correct? Yeah, kind of. Marx was trying to say, I think here that, and I don't think he was exactly right here, uh, that from the perspective of a proletarian, it doesn't matter to them what country they're in. It doesn't matter to them, you know, what the dominant religion is or anything. These things shouldn't, you know, not shouldn't matter to them, but effectively eventually don't matter to them because they're getting screwed over so hard by Okay. Capitalism in general. It doesn't matter where you're starving, you're still starving. Yeah. And okay. so and you don't really have time to care about law, morality, religion. This is all like bourgeois bullshit to proletarians. I would say this this reminds me of a point that the trillbillies make a lot, which is that like poor working people don't have time to give a shit about electoral politics because they're like, I'm just trying to fucking make ends meet. Like I don't mm -hmm. I don't care. It's effectively not going to change my life at all. Yeah, and they're not, you know, and they're not wrong. Like when they're talking about, I remember earlier in the primary season, they were talking about canvassing and the projects mm -hmm. in Cleveland. I think Terrence was talking about that. And this is the Trillbilly Workers Party podcast that we're plugging here, by the way. Extremely good. Yeah, they're I great. Love them. Check them out. But uh, yeah, talking about going up to people and they're kind of looking at them like, geez, dude, you know, what are you doing? That stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, 
I think that in, in some ways, yeah, you're right that like the electoral politics doesn't matter, but in other ways to people who are thoroughly in the proletariat, I mean, working class people of, of all stripes definitely still do care a lot about morality and religion. I don't think that Marx thought that this, you know, was going to develop the way that it did. You know, he thought that social forces were basically crushing people so much that they would just give up on religion, give up on morality. I feel like if anything, they've, they've clung harder to it. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't think they are shrugging off that cultural element. No, I I think it's like, it's almost like they're using those things to make them feel more uh, important. Like, well, at least I'm American, at least I'm a good Christian, you know, and instead using those like different values to differentiate themselves between the the quote unquote bad people, aka people of color and, you know, queer people and people who don't share their religion. Yeah, I think that, yeah, this is another one that I think Marx probably got wrong or overestimated, maybe. You know, maybe Damn it'll eventually Marx. happen. But yeah, yeah, you don't, you know. You, you don't, don't want them all. Yeah, you don't want to lionize anyone and say they always got everything right. So Yeah, problematic <laughs> faves. All right. Um, let's see. Their mission is to destroy all previous securities for and insurances of individual property. Uh, they being the proletariat, right? Yeah. So we're just them. like, we're done with property. We'll get into the property question here in a bit. Yeah, I have lots of questions on that. I have a section on it, and I love it, (laughs) and it helped me crystallize the distinction. All right, yeah. Who's teaching who? (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) We're working through this together. Okay. Um, What's this next bit? I want to make sure we're giving a a good recap. He's basically kind of uh, recapping that revolution has to happen. The bourgeoisie will be in power. The proletarians can't take power until they, until they overthrow it. They can't just ask nicely. They can't just wait for the bourgeoisie to say, you know what? You guys can like rule with us. Um, (laughs) Yeah. They can't like legislate their way to it. Yeah. Um, And then he gives a big recap where he says, you know, hitherto every form of society has been based on these classes and it just, it it progresses necessarily. And we're, we're going to be to the next point where the essential conditions will change. Um, this last part, I, I know you had a note on that. <laughs> My note just says, fuck yeah. Yeah. And that's what we were referring to earlier. Capitalism, uh, the bourgeoisie therefore produces above all are its own grave diggers. Yama, yama. It's a, it's a great way to, to, to sum it up. We've talked about this before. So the idea that like, there's all these workers together, they're going to start chatting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we went kind of longer than we thought. So let's yeah. wrap up. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll put a pin in it for now. Yes. And we'll continue next time. Um, thank you all for listening. You can follow us on social media, uh, on Twitter. We are teach communism. Um, on Instagram, we are teach me communism. What else? Um, you can send us an email, teach me communism at gmail.com. If you have questions and, uh, if you want to write us a review, that'd be great. We already got a couple of those. So thank you so much to those people who did that. Yes. You guys are great. Yeah. That was awesome. Keep bringing those in. We'd love it to read more nice reviews. Please, please feed my need for validation. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we'll see you next time. Part two's coming. Yeah, thank you for teaching me communism. Where the class struggle is always in session. Mm -hmm.